You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. All right. Feel free to wrap up your conversation and make your way back to your seats. We'll begin here shortly. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, River City Church. It's good to be here this morning. And to all of you guests who are here today, uh, we're glad you're here. My name is Eric Vaghi. I'm the director of families. I work a lot with our kids and our youth ministry here. Um, I'm thankful to our senior pastor, Jeremy, for giving me the opportunity to to preach today. Uh, And I want to start by just welcoming you all here this morning. As a church, we exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond. Each week, we remind ourselves of our mission together because every week we bring weariness into this room from all uh, shapes and forms and wherever life has taken us, we bring weariness. You may feel it because of your busyness from this past week or maybe because you have witnessed the brokenness of the world. And I know we feel that, especially this week. Maybe you've felt the burden of religion and you have to do these things in order to be right with God. Or for some, you have been weighed down by sin that you've clung to in the idols of this world. We don't claim to be a perfect church, and this isn't a church for perfect people, but it's not a place for despair because we have the hope of Jesus Christ and his invitation to us. In response to our weariness, Jesus has come. Come to him and find rest for your soul. We believe that lives are renewed in relationship with Jesus, and that is why we are gathered here this morning, to know the refreshing presence of Jesus together as we help one another to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to be sent by Jesus into the world. So let me offer you a welcome in the name of Jesus. To all who are weary and need rest, to all who mourn and need comfort, to all who feel worthless and wonder if God cares, to all who fail and need strength, to all who sin and need a savior, to all who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and to whoever else will come. This church opens wide her doors and offers welcome. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you. Let's pray quick. Father God, you are Lord, you are sovereign, and you are good. You work all things by the power of your hands, and even though the world totters, Lord, you uphold it by its pillars. Nothing is outside of your power. Nothing is outside of your grace and your power to redeem. Father, thank you that you have chosen your people, um, that you have called us to yourself, and that you are a God who delivers, that your name, your reputation is a God who saves. 
that you work all things for your glory and for our good. Help us to hold fast to your promise today. And Lord, teach us by your word to know and to trust you more. Lord, your word will not go unfruitful. Lord, speak through me, speak through this text today as we walk through Acts and encourage your people in the good news of the gospel. Encourage your people in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and encourage your people to encourage one another in the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I was an intern here starting in 2016 with a few others, Michael Jolivet and Dalton were also interns at this time with Jeremy. It was the first year we had a cohort of interns led by Jeremy, and it was a great year. And outside these doors, just behind, actually on, along Hennepin, along the, the street there, five years ago, I ran my first and only and possibly last marathon. I signed up to run in the 2016 Twin Cities Marathon, and I was ready. I had trained all winter and summer to be in shape for this big race. I remember how many people were there running and supporting, and the energy was amazing. I won't share how fast I was or what my time was for the race, but I've, I felt like I was moving pretty good. I felt like I had a good pace, and my body was feeling great until mile seven. <laughs> and there's 26.2 miles, by, by the way. I could feel my ankle start to ache, followed by shooting pain down my right thigh into my knee. For those who know, it's the IT band, I believe, for those who are aware. Um, my knee had locked up, and I couldn't run without pain shooting continually down my leg. With a measly 19 more miles left to go, I hobbled on. Thankfully, I was wearing a Team World Vision top. I had signed up to run with Team World Vision to raise money for water um, in, in, um, in other countries. And the encouragement of so many people that I had never met before was astonishing. They were shouting, go Team World Vision, as soon as they would see my top, go Team World Vision. And it would seem like whenever I needed encouragement, I'd get another, go Team World Vision. My mom was also there. She was supporting me along the way, multiple stops throughout the race. And all together, it was like a huge extended family cheering me on. And honestly, I don't think I would have made it without all the support. If I had done all the training on my own and if I was all out there by myself, uh, I know some people did virtual races kind of during the pandemic, I don't think I would have made that. I, if it was just me running by myself, I would not have the motivation to run 26.2 miles. The last six miles, as I crossed from Minneapolis to St. Paul, was uphill the whole way up Summit Avenue on the way to the Minneapolis or the Minnesota capital. And honestly, it was entirely kind of a blur. I don't remember a lot about it, but I remember I was running on fumes, my knee was throbbing, and these persecuting thoughts in my head asking myself, why am I doing this? Why, why don't I just quit? There's people falling by the wayside left and right. You know, it's like a, like a, just, it was just, it was devastating scenes to say the least. And however, with the help of water, fuel stations, people handing out different uh, gel packages, packs, and people encouraged me all along the way, by God's grace, 
I finished the race. It wasn't pretty, but I finished. It wasn't chariots of fire, slow motion, although I was moving pretty slowly as I finished the line. Uh, I thought I was going really fast, but someone took a video of me and I was like, (laughs) slowly crossing the finish line. But if running a few hours on a Sunday morning was impossible without the encouragement of others around me, both in word and in deed, how much more essential is it that Christians build one another up with the good news of the gospel on this race of the Christian life? In other words, if God's people are to finish the race, we must proclaim the gospel to one another in our words and in our actions. So in our context today, uh, oh, that's my mom, by the way, uh, with me in the race. Uh, You can pull up the next slide with the, the map here. Oh, next slide after that one. There you go. So in our passage, the Apostle Paul is in the middle of his third missionary journey. You can see all the travels that he makes starting in the far right, upper right part of the screen. He travels through what is modern day Turkey and he stops in Ephesus. And that's where we start on the western coast of of what is now Turkey. And then he'll travel north up through Macedonia. He'll stop in Greece and then he'll actually go back the way he came on his way back to Jerusalem. So he's traveling from city to city, proclaiming the gospel to the various churches he helped to start. In the previous chapter, Paul came to the city of Ephesus in chapter 19, where he entered the synagogue and spoke boldly, trying to persuade those there about Jesus and the kingdom of God to both Jews and to Greeks. And there was a riot there. However, um, Paul decides that he would leave and go through Macedonia and Greece on his way back to Jerusalem. Now, Paul is in a hurry Paul is quick to get back to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's trying to get back for a festival of the Jews, the, Pente- the, the festival of Pentecost. But he, as he's going on his way, he's making these various stops throughout Europe, and he's encouraging the disciples with the gospel. Paul himself has encountered significant resistance and opposition, but the mission of his life given to him by Jesus himself is to build up the church through the preaching of the gospel. So my main point here today is that we must build up the church by proclaiming the gospel in all of life. We must build up the church by proclaiming the gospel in all of life. I believe our text today gives us two ways we can do this, that we build up the church through the proclamation of the gospel. One way we can build up the church is to encourage believers. The second way is to exhort leaders. First, we'll start with, we must build up the church by encouraging believers in the gospel. So point number one, encourage believers. Let's read in Acts chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. This is on page 929 in the Pew Bibles, page 929. I will not have the verses up on the screen, um, so you can either read along or uh, just follow along and listen. Uh, as I read. It says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had come through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made to return against him by the Jews as he was about to sail for Syria, 
he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Purus, accompanied him. And of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derba, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And in five days, we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Actually, we'll keep reading. Verses uh, 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered, and a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And, even, and being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. We see in this passage, Paul, he's encouraging believers in two means. So two means by which Paul is encouraging other believers. The first, way, first means is he encourages the believers in word, by the words of his mouth. In verse 1, Paul called for the disciples of Ephesus, and he encourages them before departing to Macedonia, where in verse 2 it says he had given them much encouragement. In Greek, it literally says he encouraged them in many words. He used many words to encourage them, and so he's encouraging them with the gospel in words. While it's not explicit here, it's likely that this encouragement took form of preaching to the disciples. And from Macedonia, Paul travels to Greece, where he likely wrote to the church in Rome, what we now know as the book of Romans. Also, Paul, in verse 7, when he travels to Troas, gathered in an upper room with the disciples to break bread in what is considered the first reference to Christians gathering on Sundays to worship and celebrate the Lord's Supper, here is Paul giving the message. And it says he talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and so he prolonged his speech until midnight. A little more than a 35-minute sermon, I would say. Thus, Paul, whenever he would go, wherever he would go, whenever he would be speaking, he would go along his journey encouraging believers through the preaching of the gospel. He was doing it, writing letters to the church, other churches. He was proclaiming in many words. He was using his words to encourage believers. Not only do we see Paul encouraging believers in word, we also see Paul encouraging believers in power. This is the second means in, in word and in power. And this power is the power that points to the encouraging words that he would give when proclaiming the gospel. In verses 8 through 12, we see Paul bringing comfort to the church in the city of Troas by miraculously bringing a young man back from the dead. A young man named Eutychus, which ironically means fortunate, was sitting at the window and sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. 
Perhaps it was all the fumes from the lamps in the room as it was nighttime. Christians had to bring lamps with them as they traveled the streets without streetlights uh, to gather uh, in the evenings. And, or the long day at work. I uh, don't think they got Sundays off back then, uh, at least at that point. Or at the very least, Paul's long teaching that made him sink down into a deep slumber. Unfortunately for Eutychus, he sank into such a deep sleep that in verse 9, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. This doesn't mean that he only seemed dead. The text suggests that when they picked Eutychus up, they found he was indeed actually dead. So what did Paul do in response to this accident? Paul demonstrates the power of the gospel. Four main verbs highlight Paul's action in verse 10. But Paul went down, he bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. Now Luke seems to suggest that rather than simply finding Eutychus alive when he, when he picks them up, Paul, when he found him, Paul's actions were in fact performative, resulting in the miraculous resurrection of Eutychus. Eutychus was dead in verse 9, but when Paul embraced him, the power of the gospel raised Eutychus from the dead, after which Paul could say, essentially, do not be alarmed, for once he was dead, but now there's life in him. This power to raise the dead flowing through Paul likens his ministry to that of Elijah and Elisha from the Old Testament prophets, as well as Jesus himself. And this power points to the message of resurrection, the message of the gospel of the resurrection from the dead through Jesus, and that it validates this this message in the ministry of Paul as being consistent with the continuing acts of Jesus by the Spirit through the apostles. After this, it says in verse 12, and they took the youth alive and were not a little comforted. So what is the result of Paul's preaching and the demonstration of the resurrection power? They were not a little comforted, which is kind of a strange way to say that, but it means they were greatly comforted. And this word comforted is actually the same Greek word that was used for encourage earlier in verses 1 through 6. The act of resurrection encouraged the believers because it pointed to the restoring nature of the gospel. In both cases, the believers were encouraged because Paul pointed to the resurrection of Jesus, both in word and in power. Thus, Paul built up the church by encouraging believers not only in word, but in the resurrection power of the gospel. So, how can we encourage one another in the gospel? First, we can encourage one another with God's word. When you meet a brother or a sister for lunch and they tell you of a struggle in their life or maybe in their marriage, or you talk to them after the service and they are on the verge of tears, even though you may have to rush out the door for lunch, or you write a letter to someone who's sick or grieving, or you bring a meal to someone or some money to to someone, encourage them by reminding them of the gospel. Sometimes we listen and we, we want to be nice, but we shrink back when it comes to actually communicating the good news of Jesus because we're afraid it won't be received. Don't let personal comforts or fear of rejection 
prevent you from encouraging another brother or another sister. Remind them of promises that God makes in His Word. Remind them of their identity in Christ, that they are forgiven, accepted, loved, and redeemed, forever united to God by faith in Jesus and of the resurrection that gives us new life. Even if their discouragement is a result of their own idolatry or sin, don't be afraid to lovingly yet firmly call them to repent of self-pity, sinful unbelief, or hard-heartedness, and instead hold fast to the good news of our future resurrection with Jesus. Just as Paul encouraged believers, we too must diligently and intentionally encourage one another in the word of the gospel. Another way we can encourage one another is through prayer. It's a little cliche, the power of prayer, but we must encourage one another through prayer. Now, we may not have ever seen someone raised from the dead like Eutychus, or you may be skeptical of the charismatic gifts, but how do you respond when someone close to you is suffering? Do you move away, or do you, like Paul, draw near in faith and pray for those who suffer and need encouragement? Perhaps you or someone you know are feeling the sting of grief and loss. Loss of a loved one, loss of a marriage, loss of a job or health or relationships. Maybe you feel the stubborn darkness of depression and anxiety where life seems hopeless and you feel worthless. Even us at this church, we feel this burden of grief as we move towards relocating and replanting. This building has been a place of so many memories, and it will be difficult to let go, but they will not be forgotten. Our world is in much need of prayer right now. On the heels of Russia attacking and invading Ukraine and fears over another world war, they're on the rise. But in the midst of our broken world, we need to be a people whose faith rests not in this life, but in the resurrection power of Jesus. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we who believe should be the most encouraged people of all. God's Spirit has been poured into our hearts and will raise us up with the saints on the last day. And so we pray for miracles of healing and restoration, and we pray for Ukraine and world situations for God's power to be at work, knowing that our hope is not ultimately in this life, for any miracle is not an end in and of itself, but is a window into what God's future kingdom will look like when Jesus returns and gives us new resurrection life. God is sovereign. He is the one who will restore, whether in this life or the next. Therefore, we must build up the church in this time most of all, praying for one another with the power of the gospel. So we build up the church by encouraging believers in word and in power. Not only that, but we must also build up the church by raising leaders who proclaim the gospel in all of life. So number one, encourage believers. This next one is exhort leaders. Exhorting leaders is like urging strongly. That's the essence of exhortation. And that's what Paul is doing with these elders of Ephesus when he travels there. He's exhorting the leaders to proclaim the gospel. Let's pick back up in Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 38, the end of the chapter. Verse 13, but going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Assos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. 
And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to Michelene. And sailing from there, we came to the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the next day, and the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course." in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves, and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves it will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remember, remembering that for three years I did not cease, night and day, to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. So what do we see in this passage? It's a longer passage, but what do we see? We see that just as there were two means by which Paul encouraged believers, there are also here two means by which he exhorts these leaders. First, Paul exhorts these leaders in truth. Paul is on his way to Jerusalem, but he makes a pit stop to speak with the elders from the city of Ephesus, where he spent three years preaching the gospel. He refers to his preaching of the gospel as an example for these Ephesians elders to follow. In verses 20 through 21, Paul says, "'How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable 
teaching in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul tells them not to shrink back from proclaiming the truth to their flock in Ephesus, especially the message of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's example shows that no matter what kind of persecution or affliction awaits him, he is faithful to preach the truth of the gospel. Also in verses 22 through 24, he says, And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul here is exhorting the leaders to not be afraid of persecution and affliction in preaching the truth because it's the only thing in his life that's truly valuable and because it's a ministry that the Lord Jesus gave him to testify. Paul knows he will never see these men again, but he reminds them to remain faithful to the gospel. He reminds them how he is innocent of the blood of all because he was faithful in proclaiming all of God's truth, the whole counsel of God. Then he urges them to keep watch over themselves and the flock, protecting the sheep from false teachers who want to lead them astray. By reminding them of his faithful preaching, and he urges them to keep careful watch over the flock. Thus Paul is building up the church through exhorting them in the truth of the gospel. As an example of faithfully proclaiming the truth of the gospel, Richard Baxter, the 17th century Puritan pastor, he served in the town of Kidderminster, England from 1641 to 1660, where he established a system of catechizing or teaching entire households. It is said that he would teach up to 16 families for one hour a week in the basics of Christian faith using the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Reflecting on his impact two centuries later, J.C. Ryle Bishop wrote, when he came to Kidderminster, he found it a dark, ignorant, immoral, irreligious place containing perhaps 3,000 inhabitants. When he left it, he had completely turned the parish upside down. When Baxter first arrived in the town, Ryle continues, there was about one family in a street which worshiped God at home. When he went away, there was, were some streets in which there were not one family on a side that did not do it. And this was the case even with inns and public houses. Ryle said, while some divines were wrangling about the divine right of episcopacy or presbytery or splitting hairs about reprobation or free will, Baxter was always visiting from house to house, beseeching men for Christ's sake to be reconciled to God and flee from the wrath to come. Baxter's influence endured even after he left. Baxter himself said, Though I have now been absent from them about six years, and they have been assaulted with pulpit calumnies and slanders, with threatening and imprisonments, with enticing words and seducing reasonings, they yet stand fast and keep their integrity. Many of them are gone to God, and some are removed, and some now in prison for nonconformity, and most still at home, but not one that I hear of are fallen off or forsake their uprightness. So how do we exhort leaders in the truth of the gospel? 
If we want to build up the church to endure persecution and finish the race of faith, we must raise up leaders who proclaim the truth of the gospel. We have elders at this church that we raise up and approve and vote on, and we must be careful with whom we appoint, and we should expect them to be faithful to proclaim the gospel in truth. We should not simply seek elders or pastors who dress cool or speak eloquently or have a charismatic personality or have amazing gifts in administration and team management. We must raise elders who make, and those who aspire to eldership to make it their life's mission to testify to the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. This is especially important now as many of our young people, even in the evangelical church, face the onslaught of secularism and cultural pressures that seek to undermine the basic truths of Christianity, the authority of Scripture, the essentials of theology, and the necessity of new birth in Jesus. Now, this doesn't apply just to our leaders, for those who may want to just, oh, this isn't about me. Um, This applies for everyone who professes faith in Christ. Whether you are younger or older, a member at this church or on staff, a community group leader, a volunteer in our kids' ministry, a child or parent, we must all live lives that testify to the gospel of God's grace by leading others in the truth of the gospel. For those who are older in our church, who is someone around you that's younger in the faith that could take a mentor or a discipler? Maybe you can just get lunch or coffee once a month and walk through a book of the Bible or a solid Christian book. Maybe you have grandchildren that you can meet with and have brunch together on Saturday mornings. I've heard of this happening of some, uh, someone who had a child, uh, who had a grandchild who was struggling in understanding the Christian faith, and they read a small book uh, called Why Is There Suffering? Uh, if God is good, why do we suffer? Why do we hurt? And it was really transformative. It was one of the most powerful experiences of his life. Maybe you can, for those who are younger, among your friends or neighbors, uh, I know that uh, Liam and Emma, who are in our church now, or maybe those who are also kind of uh, younger, who, who among your friends can you, can you reach out to and, and say, hey, do you want to read some of the Bible or do you want to read this book with me? Uh, parents, what does it look like for your family to do family worship in your home? It doesn't matter if it's not perfect or if it's every single night. Take some time, even if it's just a minute, to reflect on a short passage of scripture or a proverb or use our, we have a new city catechism that we hand out for free uh, that reflect the truths of the gospel and then pray and sing together. Brothers and sisters, we are the church. We are not meant to be some carnival of religious experience or not meant to be uh, a shopping mall of religious products, of selling religious goods of moralistic advice and therapeutic self-esteem, we must be a fortress of the gospel that faithfully passes the faith from generation to generation if we want to last the time, the test of time and trials. Therefore, if we are built up and strengthened to finish the race, we must exhort one another in the truth of the gospel. So we must not only raise up leaders who proclaim the gospel in truth, they must also proclaim the gospel in deed. Back to our text, Paul urges the Ephesian elders to follow example, not only in proclaiming truth, but also to proclaim the gospel in the way that they lived. Paul's example showed them how to live with humility. In verse 18, Paul begins, You yourself know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. 
The fact that Paul lived with the people whom he was serving and that he served the Lord even while facing persecution showed the elders how they too can live with humility. Paul also exhorts them to care for the weak and the poor. He tells them in verse 33 how he coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel and that he worked with his own hands to supply for his own needs so that he wouldn't burden the poor that he was staying with. In reminding them of these things, Paul is telling the elders to not be greedy, that they must help those who are weak, remembering Jesus' words, it's more blessed to give than to receive. They shouldn't just go around preaching the gospel or, or pretending to preach a false gospel to just try to get money or try to, take, try to take advantage of people's vulnerability and by manipulating people spiritually in order to get rich. Lastly, Paul demonstrates his deep love for the church by praying with the Ephesian elders before he departs. It says there was much weeping on the part of all. The tearful prayer with and for the Ephesian elders shows how much Paul loved them, and he gives them thus an example as to how they, too, are to love one another. Thus, Paul exhorted the elders to proclaim the gospel, not just in word, but in their deeds, through serving with humility, helping the weak, and loving the church. Not only in this passage, but in other passages, does Paul exhort elders to exemplify lives that reflect the truth of the gospel. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Paul writes, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, if an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be um, puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, we must be well, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil." Notice that only one of these qualifications has to do with teaching, where the rest have to do with character. By giving these qualifications to elders or overseers, it is imperative to him that elders not only preach the gospel, but they must also preach the gospel in their very lives. So what does that mean for our churches? We must therefore raise up leaders who proclaim the deeds of the gospel, who proclaim the gospel indeed. Indeed, we must appoint and elect elders and leaders who have a deep faith in Jesus that is reflected in every area of their lives. Unfortunately, too many churches are divided and conflicted because of divisiveness and immaturity on the part of those in leadership, and this has tarnished the witness of the gospel. Too many stories exist of church, hashtag church too, and people traumatized and wounded by the abuses of power that do not reflect the goodness and the truth of the good news of the gospel and rather reveal self-righteousness and sinful pride that's more reflected of our world. We need leaders in the church who have character, who serve the church with humility and care for the weak and the poor and have a deep love for the church. And if you are one of those who have experienced church hurt, who have experienced hardship, uh, who have experienced abuse of power and, and spiritual hardship, um, I just want to offer a comfort for you that, that just because you experience rejection, 
doesn't mean that God, in the church, doesn't mean that God has rejected you. Jesus himself was rejected so that you would be accepted. That just because our, our churches are full of broken people and are imperfect, God, his mission of redemption and resurrection will not fail. And so trust in Jesus and, tr- and love the church because it was bought by the blood of Jesus. It was bought by his blood that the church is God's. Uh, even though it's imperfect, it is God's plan of redemption and that God will make all things new. So what does that mean for not just elders, but also uh, everyone else who isn't, uh, who isn't a leader in the church? Not only elders, but all of us need to proclaim the gospel indeed. Serve your spouse, children, parents with humility. Who is weak among you that you are to care for? Make a meal for someone in need. Make a phone call just to check in, especially as we go through this transition as a church. Give a gift or a visit to someone you know is struggling. Let's proclaim the gospel to one another by serving one another, giving to one another, and loving each other. Because in doing so, we are reminded of the love of Christ and, have, and reminded of the grace that we need to finish the race. We need to spur one another on the marathon of the Christian life, not so that we can run perfectly, but so we can finish. Let's build up the church by proclaiming the deeds of the gospel. So why must we build up the church through the proclamation of the gospel? In verse 32, Paul says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all who are sanctified. We proclaim the gospel to one another because it has the power to build us up and give us the future inheritance in the kingdom of God. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which sins clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Because of the joy set before him, Jesus Christ was able to endure the shame of the cross so that we might inherit the glory of his Father in heaven. And all who repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ will not perish, but will be forgiven of sin and inherit eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. Therefore, we, the saints of God, must encourage one another to throw aside every sin and look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, because in him and him alone we have the grace to finish the race. Therefore, River City Church, Let us build up the church through the proclamation of the gospel in every area of life as we encourage believers in word and in power and exhort leaders in truth and in deed. And now we will look to Jesus together as we share in the bread and the cup at the table of our Lord at communion. We are meant to see Jesus high and lifted up and in faith we come together and worship him as we call to mind his broken body and in the bread, in his shed blood through the cup. Some practical instructions. If you did not get the elements on your way in, please raise your hand and an usher will bring it to you. If you are on the live stream, we invite you to participate with us. Go to your kitchen and get a cracker and some juice. You do not need to be a covenant member here to join us in communion, but one thing we do ask is that you have trusted in Christ to participate. If you have entered today having rejected God, but have been convicted of your sin this morning, you can repent. 
If you have been convinced that you need Christ's death on your behalf, you can trust him today. Romans 10.9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If God is stirring in your heart, trust in his resurrection power today. Be welcomed into the family of God with those who are sanctified and receive the gift of his inheritance in heaven. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.